Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. My name is Goose. My name is Gabby. What do we talk about today, Gabby? We rewound a little bit because we get quite quite detailed and advanced in our strategies and we went back to basics and identified how to actually do the hardest part of property investing, which is just to get started. So we covered like savings, how to get that first 60 grand, which is the hardest part, um, how to think about moving through the different phases of actually getting started and different ways that you can think about managing your money, finding that deposit, all, all those kind of things. Yeah, we also talked about like why would you even bother getting started yeah. <laughs> and what can actually happen if you do get started. And we kind of talked through the basic maths around how to get to, you know, a uh, a $100,000 income or a $4 million property portfolio in 10 properties in about 10 to 12 years, um, starting from a pretty basic point, right? So yep. this is wholly achievable for pretty much anyone. So if you are struggling to get started or if you're just early in your journey and you're just thinking about this for the first time, or if you know somebody who is maybe in that position, and it really doesn't matter whether that person or you is 20, 30, 40, 50, or 60 years old, it doesn't matter. These, these, the stuff we talk about in this episode is going to be impactful and valuable to you too, right? So make sure you share this with somebody who needs it. Or if this is you, then listen up and tune in because we cover a lot of good stuff in this episode. As Gabby said, why would we get started? How to get started? All of this kind of stuff. So I hope, I hope you enjoy it. Um, without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it. And make sure you share this with somebody else. I think I mentioned that already. So let's get stuck right <laughs> no, into share it. it. Share it. Share it. Share it. Share it. Share it. Share, share, share. share it. <laughs> share it. <laughs> awesome, guys. We'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. You're with your pals Goose and Gabby. Gabby, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Very well, thanks. Very awesome. well. What's been happening? Um, lots of stuff as usual. Lots of lots of the same, but amazing stuff. Good. <laughs> to keep it to keep it vague. What's going on with you? Um, kind of the same actually. <laughs> yeah, I don't. God, I don't have any same. like radi- I don't have any radical stories. You know, it's all. Mm-hmm. It's all happening, you know. We're going and buying a couple of properties. That's fun, um, you know. The market is challenging. It's you know, it's it's all good stuff. You know, mm. it's all it's all it's all tough. So, um, what are we talking about today then? Well, we um, we've d- we've done a bit of a survey recently in the last couple of days. It was actually. It was yesterday. God, time is time is not when the episode comes out, though, Gabby. It's going to be like a couple of weeks ago. Weeks ago, weeks ago. Um, (laughs) And look, a lot of the a lot of the feedback is people love the the property strategy. They love the tactics, um, but sometimes there's a bit of a gap in terms of it might be a little bit too advanced for people. Mm. So the common thread was like, "Hey, can you kind of create some more content, maybe just for people?" in the early stages or yep. how to really get started. Because we talk a lot about, you know, once you've decided that you're going to go ahead and you've got the resources to do that, like what property do you buy, where do you look, all this kind of yeah. stuff. How do you, how do you structure, you know, how do you get a, build a scalable property portfolio? Yeah, and how, how do you, how do you, how do you make you, sure you don't max out your serviceability? Like yeah, these are kind of like kind of way yep. deeper into the process. So mm. we just kind of wanted to like rewind right back to the start and just think about like, 
probably the hardest part about property investing, which is getting started, right? It's that very first kind of pulling everything together to buy that first property. Like what are the challenges and how can we help people get through them? Yeah, totally. And it really is. It really is the hardest part, right? So Mm -hmm. once you get started, it actually, everything becomes a lot easier, right? Yeah. But there's kind of there's kind of like three main phases I would say where investors find um, big problems, right? Yep. So the first and probably biggest one is getting started, right? So they struggle to get the deposit together. They you know struggle with the motivation and the commitment. They might start saving for a while and then be like, ah, this is boring and going on a holiday, uh, <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. They probably lack the vision to pull them forward and. Really, you know, the reason that most people don't get started in property investing is that is that it's they just can't break through that inertia. Like pr- pretty much anyone can do it, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much anyone can do it as long as you've got the right mindset. Mm-hmm. And if you've got the right mindset and you've got the right tenacity and stuff, you better break through that gap. Now, what happens then? That's kind of the, the trickiest part. That's where actually most people are stuck, right? And that's why the minority of people have uh, property invest. Well, there's, there's other reasons why the minority of property investors <laughs> as well, like, you know, maths and stuff. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So, but that's kind of the biggest, that's kind of the biggest sticky point. A lot of people think I, I can't do it. Um, it's too hard. I'll never be, I'll never be able to achieve that, which is just not true. And we'll kind of dig into it's that. Not, and why It's you would not do, for yeah. me. Yeah, 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 exactly, which is yeah. just not madness, right? Um, then the next kind of phase is the, okay, let's say they've overcome that barrier and they've managed to like break the inertia and then get, you know, get moving and get some momentum together and all of that kind of stuff. Then they go, right, we're going to go buy a property. And then they, most of the time, statistics show us that most of the time people get it wrong, right? So they buy the wrong property in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? And they don't actually achieve what they set out to achieve, right? So mm-hmm. that's kind of the next big phase, which is obviously where, at Dashdot, that's kind of like the big part where we start to help people to avoid that mistake and we help people through that phase so they buy the right property, right place, right time. But that's where most property investors get stuck, which is why 75% of property investors never get past the very first investment property. It's simple, right? Yep. So that's kind of the, the second phase where people really run into trouble. And then the third phase is if you have become successful, like a lot of our clients, if you become a successful property investor and you end up with multiple properties and you've got this kind of like big property portfolio and the goal of most people's property portfolios is to give them time, freedom and all of this kind of stuff, the kind of one of the problems then is you actually then have to work out how to deal with the administrative side of running a portfolio. You know, mm. you've got multiple property managers in multiple states, you've got all of these different obligations and, and tax and rates and all of this kind of stuff and staying on top of that. So that's kind of the third phase, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're going to be tackling that soon. Um, but this first phase is literally the hardest one, right? The other two phases are kind of like pretty good problems to deal with, to be honest, um, once you can get past the first phase. So um, I think this is a great uh, a great topic to, to dig into. Where do you want to start? Yeah, so I guess... Uh because it's kind of it's kind of all like a flywheel, right? We we use the phrase the concept of a flywheel quite a lot, and so a flywheel is like a big metal disc. You know, you think about like a merry-go-round. Like if you were trying to yeah. spin a merry-go-round yourself manually, like you can imagine just that initial push. It's like mm. almost feels impossible, right? You're just pushing as hard as you can, and it feels like it's not budging at all. And this is kind of what saving when you first kind of decide like, oh, I should maybe start saving for. A house deposit because that's what people do right um you can kind of like you feel that 
push and it's not going anywhere and you're losing like, should I even keep trying, all that kind of stuff. But then gradually yeah. at some point it'll start to shift a little bit, just a little bit at a time and then gradually if you keep sticking at it, it gets easier and easier and then suddenly this flywheel is spinning around itself and you barely like have to keep it moving. You just kind of keep guiding it around and it just keeps going. So this is really that first like really tough push trying to get it off the ground um and so i guess part of that is also as you touched on it's the mindset right so if you don't have a strong enough mindset yourself and Mm. the vision for why you are doing this there's a chance that you will try and then you'll like you said decide oh this is too hard i'll just go on a holiday instead and just put my savings into that so Mm. i guess if we just started like why should people get started like why should they go through this challenge and this real dirty, heavy kind of time when you're just saving and you can't really see why you're doing it? Why should? Why do you think people should get started at all? Yeah, it's it's a great question, right? And so I think so. I I woke up very early this morning and I did some maths, right, in preparation. As you for do, this. as you yeah, do. <laughs> yeah, just cranked out some spreadsheets really quickly <laughs> um, in preparation for this, but. This is really interesting to kind of think about the savings piece first. Like, so we'll come back to why, right? We'll talk about that in a second. But it's really interesting to think about the savings, the savings piece, because saving is really hard for most people, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, the the math I did this morning was based around. Look, let's get into it. So why? why so I'm going to I'm going to circle back to this, right? The average mm-hmm. the average median wage is about eighty thousand dollars, right? Which may be a lot more than most people when they are just starting their portfolio, right? So. Yep. Just want to be really clear about a couple of things that we talked about in this episode, right? Number one, it's very basic maths designed to give you an understanding. Number two, it's not financial advice. Number three, your circumstances may be different, but that doesn't mean it's it, that doesn't mean that it's impossible for you. And we're going to talk about how you can achieve all this stuff too, right? But using the using the national um, median national average wage about eighty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, right? If you can save forty percent of your wage, right? Which which I can tell you a few years ago, I wasn't saving, I wasn't saving, I was saving 0% of my wage. I'd literally (laughs) just spend it all and then get the next paycheck and then spend all of that. You know, I was like, what is the point? Right. Because I could never see where I was trying to get to. But let's just say you can save 40% of your, of your salary. That's about $32,000 a year. Uh, And over two, and over two years, that would work out to be about $64,000. Now, if you can buy a three hundred thousand dollar property, you're going to need roughly fifty to sixty grand cash, right? Now we'll use for the purposes of this kind of explanation, we'll use sixty thousand dollars, right? Because if you break the inertia and then you want to get to, and you're going to have the next problem, which is going to be how to find the right property, you might want to pay for some help, right? So sixty grand would probably, you know, incorporate, you know, the service fees of someone like Dashdot and stuff like that as well. So let's use yep. the sixty grand as well. So we're kind of using more real figures too, right? Um, so now property doesn't double every seven years, right? People talk, ah, oh, property doubles every seven years and all of that kind of stuff. It, it, it doesn't really, right? If you use the compound annual, average annual compound annual growth rate uh, of property in Australia for the last 25 years, it's about 6.8%, right? So we're going to be using really general maths here. So if you've got $60,000, you can buy roughly a $300,000 property. Now, if that grows by 6.8% a year on average, it'll take 12 years to double. In fact, by the 12th year, it would be worth $618,593, right? Mm-hmm. So 
Okay, so now property. Now we understand properties double roughly every sort of ten to twelve years, right? We'll use twelve years for this kind of model. Now, if you started in year one, right? If all you did was save up sixty thousand dollars and didn't didn't add any other money to your portfolio, if you stopped saving after that, which I wouldn't recommend you do because having good money habits is very very important, <laughs> right? Um, but if you only got together the, that sixty grand, right? And you bought the first property in year one at three hundred thousand dollars. It would take, and if it grew at an at the average rate of six point eight percent, right? It would in year four have built enough equity for you to be able to buy another three hundred thousand dollar property. Now, one of the things I'm not taking into consideration in this example is borrowing capacity limits. Okay, so again, I'm just trying to illustrate the what what can happen and why you would do it, right? The best. So. Yeah, so if you started with $60,000, right, you bought a $300,000 property, four years, and you contributed nothing else to your portfolio, and we're not factoring any cash flow, just the average growth rate, in year four, you'd be able to buy property number two. And then if we follow the same logic, that the second $300,000 property is also growing at 6.8% a year and everything like that, in year six, you would be able to buy property number three. And then in year seven, you would be able to buy property number four. And then in year eight, you'd be able to buy property number five. And then in year nine, you'd be able to buy property number six, right? So that's nine years and six properties. And all you've put into the portfolio is $60,000, right? Mm -hmm. Then a funny thing happens. In year 10, you can actually buy two properties. So you will go, you will go from six properties to eight properties. So year nine, you'll have six properties. And year 10, you'll have eight properties. And then in year 11, you're about to buy another two properties again. So by the end of the 11th year, you should have 10 properties, right? So you can buy 10 properties in basically 11 to 12 years if you just follow the basic maths. Now, that's cool. And people are probably going, yeah, but why the hell would I care, right? Mm -hmm. Why the hell would I want more properties, right? Why does that even matter? Like if you're thinking yeah. about getting started, well, I like to think about returns and I like to think about what I could do with my life, right? So let's say you're... Let's say you're 30 years old, right? In 12 years' time, you're going to be 42. So let's say you're 30 years old and you've never, because I was about 30 years old before I started turning my life around, right? So it's not, it's not an unrealistic um, age point to pick, right? So let's say you're 30 years old, you've never paid any attention to anything of saving and everything, whatever, and you're just like, right, hang on a second, why would I even bother? 12 years' time, you'll be 42 years old. Now, if you if you used your initial $60,000 and followed that basic maths that I just mapped out, you would in year 12 have 10 properties and you would have a portfolio value of $4,069,369.91, just to be precise, right? Now, along the way, you would have drawn down equity out of those properties, okay? So you would have initially put in $60,000, but then you would have used the equity in the properties to fund the next purchases. Again, we're not taking into consideration debt and cash flow. It's a whole other conversation, right? Yep. So. That would mean that you would start with $60,000. The end portfolio value after 12 years, when you're 42 years old, would be $4,069,000. Along the way, you would have drawn down $540,000. So started your, with your initial 60, used $540,000 of equity along the way. So you would have achieved then a total gain of uh, $3,469,369.91. Right, so that means not over bad. a twelve—that's not bad, right? So over <laughs> a twelve-year period, over over a twelve-year period, you will have made about three and a half million dollars, right? From now, sixty that's using, grand to start. 
Exactly, from $60,000. So over a 12-year period, you can turn... Now, that's obviously not factoring in selling costs and liquidating the capital and all of that kind of stuff, yeah. right? But just let's let's stick with it because you can start with $60,000 and turn that into a total gain of around $3.5 million roughly, which is a total return of 5,782%. Or if you... If you annualized it over a 12-year period, which you obviously wouldn't do early on because you're $300,000 property property one, but if you average that over, if you look at the, the total period of time divided by the total gain or the total gain divided by the total period of time, that's an average annual gain of $289,114, right? Now, if all you did was that, your life would be transformed, Right? You would have the ability to have choice. Right, You would have the ability to start making decisions based around what you want out of your life, not what you think that you need to do with your life. Right, And it, and it is a flywheel. That's only factoring in 12 years worth of growth. Hang on to those properties for another 12 years and that's going to be... That's, not going to be worth double. It's going to be worth way more than double because of compound growth. Right? Yep. So... You know, it has the ability, like even just starting small and even just doing it basic, right, has the ability to transform your life in a relatively short period of time, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if you can go from zero at age 30 or age 20, right, imagine if you started this at 20 years old and by the time you're 32, you've made $3.5 million, you are definitely going to be setting yourself up for a better life. You're going to have the ability to travel, the ability to continue to invest, maybe the ability to use that capital to start a business You know that you really want to do. That's going to give you the ability to make the decisions that you want with your life without having to you know, necessarily work for a wage for the rest of your life. You could, mm-hmm. you, if all you did was you could then, there's loads of things you could do. You could keep that property portfolio and just keep it forever and you know, there's loads of ways you can kind of tap into the gains and the cash flow. You can sell the whole portfolio and then take all of that money minus the selling costs and capital gains, right? But take all of the leftover money, reinvest that in high yield, high yield, um, st- uh, d- uh, high dividend shares, you know, just for pure cash flow, for example. There's loads of different things that you could do that you might never have to work again, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, yeah. So in that example as well, like that's purely on, appreciation right capital growth as well right so that's not even factoring in any net yield or cash flow that you're generating so because i think particularly like comparing property with other asset classes when people think about all right i'm starting to save this money do i buy property or do i put it into shares like what do i what do i do with it do i put it into super do i do something else with it bitcoin crypto whatever um and it usually people kind of come back and they go, okay, well, where's where am I going to get the best yield, right? Because I just think mm-hmm. about the the short term cash flow, and so a lot of people early on might have like a cash flow goal of like I want to replace my income in ten years. You know, that's a common goal for people to have. And so if you have you know these assets that you just talked about in this example, yeah, you're getting that appreciation right over time by selecting correctly. But then if you're also getting good positive cash flow where you can yeah that is gradually building up and giving you passive income to literally start replacing your day job right over time that's going to start you know instead of working five days a week now in a couple of years you might be able to go to four days a week and then you can go to three days a week and then suddenly you've got this asset base that you can liquidate or leverage out of to fund the life that you want but then you've also got this cash flow on top of it that is literally paying you a wage in lieu of working for a wage 
Totally. And so it's probably important to it's probably important to point out, right? If you are starting with sixty thousand dollars only and you don't put anything else into your portfolio and your focus is on how do I grow my portfolio as much as possible, cash flow is not going to be the goal, right? Yep. Yep. So the likelihood is you would be sacrificing net cash flow in favor of building up your net worth, right? Um, and that is a totally relevant and rational and reasonable thing to do, particularly if you're particularly if you are like you're either um, borrowing capacity deficient or um, capital deficient. So if you're capital deficient, right, focus on building up capital. Now, if you got to the end of year 12 and then sold down half of your um, portfolio to pay out the other half, right, and you and you know and and let's just say you were getting a five percent yield on two million dollars worth of property, or even a two point five percent net yield on two million dollars worth of property. Um, you would be making, let me just do the quick maths. <laughs> if you sold half your property portfolio to pay off the other half, uh, then, and so then the debt would be paid down. Let me just do the quick maths on this. The debt would be paid down. So if you had a 5% growth, if you had a 5% net yield with all the debt paid down on those properties, you would be making $100,000, right? Mm. So in a pretty simple format, you could, if you played your cards right and played the game of finance, you would be able to turn $60,000 into a $4 million property portfolio. You'd be able to sell down some of the properties and pay down the debt on the other the other properties, right? And then if you had a 5% net yield because you don't have the debt on those properties, then you would have $100,000 income, <laughs> right? Simple. So, yeah, exactly. So, so the, the maths is not that complex, right? And it is very achievable for most people. Now, the reason most people um, struggle with this, again, is they just don't get started or they don't have the commitment to stick it through, right? Mm. So, you know, all it takes is for you to have a big enough vision to pull yourself forward and to have the tenacity to want to stick with it and also to build the right team around you, right? So, I mean, if you said to, I think I think if people understood that, right, it would actually probably, you know, change, change the game a little bit in terms of how they're thinking about it. Because if I could go back to when I was 20, I just didn't understand property, right? And I really didn't understand the whole wealth game. And also, I was living for the moment. I was like, no, I mean, like, I could die tomorrow. Like, let's just live for the day and all of that kind of stuff, Yolo. which is awesome. Yeah. And I had a great time. <laughs> I, had, I had a great time. Um, but, I got to, but I got to the end of my 20s and I had nothing to show for it, right? Yep. And if all I had done was buy one property, like when I was 20, I, my life would be radically different. You know, like that we would be in a completely different wealth position. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I guess like, so we got some, we have some more tactical tips, right? That we're going to dig into about like how yeah. people can actually get started. But I just wanted to have like a quick discussion on, you know, as you touched on, like you can build this property portfolio and it can give you this, but really if you don't have the vision and the commitment to realizing why that is even important, mm -hmm. you're not going to stick with it because you just don't understand it. You know, you don't understand property. If you don't understand the mechanics, you're just going to be like, Meh, I don't, I don't see what the, what the fuss is about. But I think as well with a lot of people in like this day and age, yeah, there's a bias towards preferencing a good life now. Like people do yeah. tend to have that kind of YOLO, <laughs> you only live once mentality of like, I feel like I'm going to figure it out down the line. So I'm just going to have a yeah, good time totally. now and just, you know, not worry about it. And we're not saying have a bad life now. Like we are no. all for like 
hedonism where it's possible and like live Absolutely. your best life and have the most dramatic experiences. Oh, you've got it. You've got to max out every day. You, <laughs> you don't. You don't want to feel like you're a, a monk. You know, just yeah. giving up everything in pursuit of a property portfolio. That's nah, madness. Not at all. You know? Yeah. So it's just about like when you can, as early as you can. Mm. Yes, live your best life, have all these experiences, but just think about what can I do to think about future me Yeah, and just put something in place, you know? This is why, like, so my brother, my brother is 22, 22, and so um, I'm trying to speak with him and he's interested in property as well, but he's in that position where it's like, oh, I'm in uni, you know, I, I'm trying to save, but I'm kind of working around uni and like, but I also like enjoy my weekends and, you know, it's hard. It's hard. There's a certain period in life where saving might actually be just not the priority for people, but yeah. I'm trying to- Or not possible, through. like just or to be possible. clear. Or not possible, yeah. Just like my, my, you might be just making, getting enough money to cover your living expenses. It might just not be possible. Yeah, for sure. And so I'm trying to coach him through, you know, why- just thinking about, and he's he's intel he's very switched on as well, right? Which is good. He's got he's lucky there. Um, so he understands, you know, if you just get something in place and maybe just get that first, you know, sixty k together, which is probably the hardest, right? That first, that totally. very first deposit, and just find a really good foundational asset, just park it in there, and even if you do that, just one. If you're like, take that as the first step, like, and then go, and then go and spend heart, like five years just going partying or whatever, right? <laughs> and, but then you could do, that, but. <laughs> no, you could do that. You could, like, you honestly, could. if you could, yeah, you could, if you could just lock one away, just like get yep. one in the bank, right? Just yep. get one in there, right? Yep. Even if you then go and just travel the world and go backpacking for five years and whatever, yep. right? And then when you're thirty, let's just say, let's say you get a property by twenty five, and then when you're thirty. You come back to it. Guess what? That property has grown enough for you to then start. Oh, okay, probably pull some equity out of that and start really ripping yeah, into probably it. Probably buy two or something with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. So um, you'll be able to you'll be able to then when you when you're ready to start ripping into it and transforming your life, you, you'll be you'll be five years ahead. You know, like you will have done that in the in that example that I gave. You know, if you buy one property, it's going to take you to the fourth year to be able to get the to be able to get the um, second property, right? Yep. So, I mean, you could buy a property and then just go party for four years and come back and like, <laughs> has it risen enough? Like, come on, you know. Go to all the full moon parties you want. <laughs> exactly, exactly, um, exactly. Yeah, so look, in that story, I'm talking about like early 20s, right? So that's mm. kind of my advice. And um, I, when I was when I was in my early 20s as well, like I had that vision, but I didn't quite have the commitment and the discipline to actually see it through and like yeah. just other stuff in my like what I thought was going to be my career was taking over like where my focus was and I was very much in the present at that point in time so that's kind of where my advice is now for people in their early 20s or even their teens right to just start thinking about this and I hope a lot of this content that we create is inspirational enough to show you that it's worth it like the, the work is worth it um yeah but it also applies, like if you're not in your early 20s, like they say, like the best time to buy property was yesterday. The second best time is mm. to buy, sorry, 20 years ago was the best time. The second best time is today. So if you haven't bought a property before and you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I'm in like my 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it still works, it right? It still works. It still works. Like it's still, you, you're still going to have these challenges. Of, you can do it in 12 years, right? You can do it in 12 yeah. years without having to keep, you know, pumping, more, yeah. providing you've got enough borrowing capacity and all of these other kind of things, right? Yeah. So you can actually go way faster than that 
you can actually probably achieve your financial goals in five to 10 years, depending on your circumstances, depending on how much capital you're starting with, what your borrowing capacity is, and what your savings rate is, right? Yep. So even if you're 40 or 50, that doesn't mean, oh, well, oh, well, I should have started when I was 20 or 30. That doesn't mean that at all. Like, yep. it just means that you need to lean in a little bit harder, right? So yeah. if you're able to, so the math that we showed was like coming up with the first 60 grand and then not putting anything else in. But if you can save an additional 60 grand every two years, right, and then layer that on top, you're going to radically shrink that time frame. And yeah, it could be about seven years maybe, right? And then you could be you could be in that position to to do what you want, when you want, with who you want. And you talk about the travel kind of thing and everything like that as well, because a lot of the, a lot of the time it's sort of like, do I sacrifice um, the experiences I want today for the experiences I can have tomorrow, right? Um, and that's a real tough trade-off, right? Porcino los dos. Yeah, exactly. For, yeah, firstly, <laughs> you do both, right? Don't sacrifice. Don't sacrifice and everything. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. The ty- the the tyranny of all. So <laughs> don't never sit. Ne- never sacrifice today wholly, right? But you need to make some sacrifices. You do. Mm-hmm. Like you need to make some choices about how you want to live your life. Um, but the way I like to think about it is, you might be able to afford to go on a three month holiday now, right? But if you play your card right, cards right, in 10 years or so, you might be able to take an infinite holiday. Yeah, never have to work a, again. A forever holiday, yeah. right? Just forever. Yeah. And never have to work again if you don't want to, right? Because particularly if you're, for a lot of people, they want to travel the world and do all that kind of stuff. Cost of living is actually pretty cheap when you're traveling, right? In a lot of yeah. cases, right? So there's ways that you can have absolute freedom if you just put in a little bit of time, effort, and energy right now. But how do people kind of get that first 60 grand? That's the big question. How do they really break the inertia? How do they crack the wheel, Gabby? Yeah, so obviously, as we've been talking about, the first that first step is getting that first deposit, right? So it's uh, pulling together what you can, making those sacrifices to build up cash reserves in your bank account of at least 60 grand that you can then go right, I'm ready to go and buy a property. Mm. So a big part of this is there's two equations to a growing bank account, two equations, two sides to the equation of a growing bank account, right? There is the income side and then there's the expenses side. So the income side is your wage. So this is actually one of the benefits of, you know, if you are starting later in your life versus in your 20s, your salary is likely to be higher than if you're starting in your 20s, right? And if you're in your 20s, you might be a casual or just kind of early in a in a career, so your salary might be a bit lower. So it's a little bit harder. Kids, like, depending where you live as well, cost of living factored in there. So it might be a little bit harder in that sense versus if you're later in life, um, your salary, generally speaking, goes up over time. So you might have more um, uh, disposable income that you well, can it might be higher income, not necessarily disposable because a lot of people, they increase their expenses when it goes up, right? True. When their income goes up, true. Yeah, right. income creep, yeah. So, yeah, so you can, th- there's that side of the equation is the income, right? A lot of people, if you work for someone else, you don't have a whole lot of control over that income side of the equation, right? Because somebody else decides what your salary is, you can enter negotiations and you can fight for yourself to, to increase that where you can but a lot of the time if you work for someone else it's not in your control so what you can control is the expenses side right so you have your income less your expenses is your net position right your net cash yep. that will build up over time so in terms of managing expenses again it's about that choosing what you're going to sacrifice now understanding that you're helping your future self to never be able to work again at some point in 10 years or something mm. so 
I mean, you really just kind of need to do a bit of an audit on where your money is going as a first step. So do I eat out every weekend? I know particularly as like people are starting to get more freedom now, it's like people are going to be just (laughs) running around eating out every single meal because they can, because people have like not been able to, which is totally fine. That's your prerogative. But just thinking about having a bit of self-awareness, having a lot of self-awareness helps with money management. And it's just Mm. about where is my money going, doing a bit of uh, an audit, maybe look back at like the last month or looking forward, track a couple of months of expenses so that you can go, right, I earn, easy math, I'm going to say 100 grand a year, but 50% of that, 50 grand goes to eating out. Like, mm. hmm, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's yeah, substantial. Totally. Do I need to eat out all the time? Why do I eat out? Well, I eat out because I like the different experience. I like, you know, I just like going to a different place and then thinking about maybe I can find another way to get that feel totally. and still go out occasionally, but maybe just kind of cut it back. And it's these kind of, if you can identify all of those little pieces and think about how can I still get what I want out of it and what do I actually want What that makes me spend that money mm. and think about other ways that you can maybe do it, even just for the short time while you're saving this 60 grand, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's a really interesting one, right? Like so a lot of people think that um, they have to go without, right? But really it's yeah. about identify, identifying what actually is it that I enjoy about that experience, right? So, for example, it could be going out to a restaurant. As you pointed out, it might be that you enjoy eating in a different environment with yeah. different scenery, right? Yeah. It could actually be the company, right? It could be your friends, right? So you can achieve the same thing by having a picnic in the park or um, cooking your friend's dinner and inviting them over. You know, like there's different ways that you can achieve the same outcome or let's say 80% of the outcome, right? With 20% of with twenty of the impact, right? Which is really, really yeah. important. Um, yeah. And with that as well, like I think because... You know, I think a lot of, particularly younger people, there's a lot of like peer pressure as well. And there's a lot mm. of like, I just want to be included in the in the group. I want to be part of my peers. I don't want them to judge me. So if you've got friends that are not on the same journey as you, firstly, mm. amazing opportunity for you to help them set themselves up to be able to educate them on this, on property and saving and wealth building and that kind of thing. But also not to get caught in the judgment that you will receive from others. Because if you're the only one in your tribe that is prioritizing your future self, it's going to feel uncomfortable. Mm. People are going to be like, oh, we're going for a picnic. Can't we just go out for a meal? And that's gonna, you're going to be like, oh, shit. Okay, maybe I should. Let's just, all right, I'll just spend the money and we'll go out. Because I just, I don't want to feel excluded from the group, right? There's a deep psychological need of humans to be accepted by a group. So, that's going to come up and you kind of need to have that real resolve in yourself and know that mm. why what you are doing is for the right reasons and have the opportunity to educate them and bring the people you love along the journey with you. And again, it doesn't mean just like only go for picnics, right? Still go no, out for meals. It's just about, you, it's just about yeah. yeah, exactly. Go out for meals, do all that kind of stuff, right? But it's about being sensible with it, right? Because yeah. Expense creep is a real, real thing, right? And you can end up blowing all your money on dumb shit that you probably don't need, right? You know, it's the same thing. It's like I can buy a black T-shirt for 20 bucks or I could go to a designer place and get a designer black T-shirt for 250 bucks. It's like at the end of the day, both black, both T-shirts, right? So (laughs) now everyone's going to have different quality measures in their own lives, right? But it's really about thinking about what kind of future do you want to create, right? So there's the income and expenses side of thing, which is great. 
right? And you've really yep. got to think about how to do that. Sometimes it's hard because you don't know what other people say, right? And so it's yeah. very interesting when I started digging into kind of like the fire movement and all of that kind of stuff, a lot of those people honestly are saving between 50 and 80%. In fact, some of those people are saving yeah. 80%. The, like the ones Amazing that do it really dedication. hardcore. Yeah, yeah, totally. 80%, saving 80% of your salary. To me, that seems <laughs> uh, that seems a little like on the high end to yep. me, but it really depends, right? So I think a really good target to aim for for most people is is fifty percent. If you can aim for fifty percent, forty to fifty percent of your salary, right, whatever or your income, whatever that is, put that aside. Then the rest of the money, spend it however you want, right? So if you're earning a thousand dollars a week, right? So let's just say, um, yeah, if you're earning a thousand dollars a week, or you, you, your take home pay is a thousand dollars a week, that'd put you on about uh, I think about a sixty four thousand dollars salary or something like that. So if you're if you're taking home a thousand dollars a week, right? If you can put $500 of that away every week, that's going to make a huge impact. Then you've got $500 left for uh, rent, food, entertainment, all that kind of stuff. And you could literally just spend like crazy, spend every last dollar of it. You don't even need to think about like, oh, can I afford it? You just have it in a way that you just go, I'm going to blow it, right? It's up mm. to me. I, I'd spend it all on spend it all on whiskey if I want. Who cares, right? As long as you obviously don't, as long as you pay your rent, right? Responsible drinking, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, right? So there's that kind of yeah. there's that kind of side of things as well. But so you go on and talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, just before we move on. So I think yep. like money management, right? This isn't a money management podcast. We're just giving you tips on like how to get started for your first deposit. There are so yep. many awesome money management tips. I mean, we've had Lacey Philippic on the podcast before, who is a really amazing um, coach yeah, through the space as well. And her book, Money, Money School, is a great book. Yeah. 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 So this is really foundational, like understanding money and how to use your cash and that kind of stuff. But there's heaps of other podcasts to listen to, dive in, that'll give you way more tactical like tips. It'll give you like ratios of, you know, depending on where you are in life, like what kind of percentages should I save? Because you're right, there's, when you're starting out, if you're a lone wolf, just kind of like doing it on your own, you don't really know how much to save, you know? So 50%, depending on how quickly you want to get started is awesome. Whereas like for yeah. some people just getting 10%, you know, they, they might have a lower totally. salary, they might have, they might earn less. So just starting totally. that habit of getting the 10%. A great, a great, sorry, a great book for people to read as well is The Richest Man in Babylon. It's an awesome book, right? Very and good book. The, the takeaway of that book is like basically say, what is it, 10 to 20% of your wage? 10%. Right? And, but, yeah. but building that as a habit for life, yeah. every single dollar. And my mom actually instilled this in me when and my brother when we were very young. It's like as soon as you receive a, do, uh, receive a dollar of income, park 10% of that, whatever that is, in another bank account and then don't touch it. And just over time, just watching that grow, right? And this is kind of what we're talking about. 10% is an amazing habit to just get into for life. Mm. If you're saving for a specific purpose, such as a house deposit, increasing that where you can, but still having a minimum that you will never break for as long as you can, right? Because the self-confidence and the self-esteem that comes from that as well a, seeing the bank account grow, you're just like, yeah, I'm crushing it. Look at all this money that I'm saving from my own self-discipline. Mm. Um, but there's also the relief of, like you said, if you're saving 50% and then the other 50% you can spend however you want. Even that in itself is surprisingly relieving mm. to be able to just go, cool, I've got this $500 a week that I can spend however I want. And you don't have this like guilt in yourself of like, oh, should I be going out? Should I buy yeah. that thing? You know that's quite relieving as well. So you kind of got this dual 
self-esteem boost happening when you start putting these um, processes in place. 100%, 100%. And that, that helps to build up that mindset as well, that mindset of success. Yeah. Now, I, I want to I kind of circle around to um, getting others to help, right? So mm-hmm. a, there's a lot that's made of like, oh, the bank of mum and dad and all of that kind of stuff. But it doesn't have to be the bank of mum and dad. It could be the yeah. bank of friends, relatives, all of that kind of stuff. Now, you, you talked at the start about a flywheel and the way you described the flywheel was kind of like having a big merry-go-round, right, that you're trying to get started by pushing it. Now, if you're pushing it alone, right, and it's going to be some hard yakka really yeah. to get that thing moving. And that's where a lot of people fall down. But if you could get a bunch of friends and say, hey, come with me, I need some help. Can you just give me a hand to get this moving and then I'll be fine? Then they'll probably come and give you a hand. Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to go cap in hand and start asking, oh, please, could I have some money? You know, like like it's that can feel like a really negative thing. But the reality of the situation is that you you can reach out to your friends, family members and loved ones and say, hey, I want to do this and this is why I want to do this and this is my plan. I'm wondering if you can help, right? And that is a totally reasonable thing to do. Now, a lot of the reason that people don't want to do that is because most people don't like to get handouts, right? So the way that I like to think about doing this is to structure it like a business proposal, right? If If you can go to your friends, family members or loved ones and say, rather than saying, oh, hey, mom and dad or hey, brother or sister or whatever, can I can I borrow 50 grand, right? And it making it feel like it's a burden. Why don't you go to them and propose it like a loan, right? Yep. Why don't you say, hey, right, so this is what I want to do. I'm going to build a property portfolio over the next 10 to 12 years. This is my goal, right? This is how I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to manage the risk, right? Um, and I'm wondering if you can help me get started. Now, I'm prepared to structure this as a loan, and these are going to be the terms, right? You'll tend to find a lot more people are a lot more receptive to it as long as you're trustworthy, creditworthy, and you've got credibility and they believe that you're not going to just like, you know, run off with the money and blow it, right? Which I would suggest that most people are, are the kind of people that have the, enough integrity. Now, a simple way that you can do this to make it valuable for everyone involved is to literally write up a loan agreement. So formalize it because this is where a lot of people go wrong. They borrow money and then there's no formal agreement and there's like, sort of gets paid back and never really knows where it stands and you end up creating a lot of animosity. Even if it is with your parents, it can create a lot of animosity, right? So you start by structuring a loan agreement with whoever is going to lend you the money. You agree on the payment terms, which could be, could be 10 years, right? So, and you could say to them, look, I'll pay you back all of the capital in 10 years. Um, but, and I'll pay you interest along the way. So, and you can say, I'll give you 5% interest, right? And then that can then give you the breathing space to just pay the interest component to them, which 5% on $50,000. Let me just, I'm using that $50,000 as a number because I'm assuming you're probably going to be able to save a little bit as well, right? So, 5% on $50,000 would be $2,500 a year, basically, mm-hmm. which you would pay to them, which if you buy the right properties, you could probably just take out of the cash flow of the property, right? Then yeah. in year in year ten, you can actually take some equity out of the portfolio, or maybe sell an asset or whatever, and pay them back the whole principal amount. Right? That's just an idea, not financial advice. I'm just spitballing ideas here, so people can start to think about this kind of stuff a little differently. Structure it like a business proposal. Yep. What would make them want to invest their money with you? How can they see this as an investment where they're going to get a return? So that's where you're asking, that's where you're then not asking for a handout 
right? You're actually proposing an investment proposition to them. There's also other ways. I know you want to say something on that, but there's other ways you can do it as well, like joint ventures and all of this kind of stuff too. So there's loads of different ways you can think about getting started and getting other people involved to help move that wheel for you. What do you want to say about that? Yeah, so I think with the... um I 100% agree with the with the business proposal kind of and, and into a formal kind of loan agreement um, mm. and arrangement. And I think a benefit with that as well is like part of that proposal is actually thinking of ways to actually benefit them and then that can become an investment vehicle for them, you know, because there are mm. people that have, you know, these good money habits where they have been saving 10% their whole life, but mm. they may not just be interested in property or they're not buying a property right now or their circumstances, whatever, that they just, people have their cash kind of sitting there for opportunities as they arrive and and support. So, Mm. if, and I'm not saying like go out and try and find people with money and just like take, trying to take their money. But if you can structure it in a way of like, look, I want to do this. I want to go and buy a property. The returns are going to look like this. What I need is I need this amount of cash to get started because the hardest Mm. part is just getting started um what is it going to cost you start with the cost identify what cost it is to them for them Mm. to give you that money so for example if it's um we'll take parents for example if it's because they've got 50 grand of equity in their home if they have agreed and they're keen and they love they love you so they want to help you get started if there's if they're going to take that 50 they'll say 60 grand out of their home, they're going to have increased repayments on that, right? Exactly. So you've got to identify and work with them and take the lead on that and go like, okay, what is it going to cost you? Because I know how this works and I know that there are costs. It's not just the 60 grand, right? So the 60 grand costs, but there might be $1,000 a month in additional um, repayments. wouldn't be yeah. that much, but let's just say It wouldn't be that much, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> $300, whatever, um, extra a month for you to cover those expenses because you have given this me this money. So, firstly, I'm going to cover that. So, mm. I'm going to pay you back principal plus the cost of whatever the cost is to you plus additional interest on top of that as a thank you for taking the risk in me because it is mm. a risk, right? Because right now they just got it in an asset that is growing, you know, average 6.8% a year inside the equity of the home or wherever they're taking it out of. Mm. So they're taking that out and putting it into your portfolio and that is a risk. So you want to pay them additional, which is what the interest is, right? It's a bit of a thank you to for doing this for me. And then that can become, that interest amount becomes an investment vehicle for them, right? That yeah. increases their cash flow. Yeah, it and becomes so a money maker. It's, Yeah, and so whether that's, your parents or a friend you know or an uncle or something, being able to put mm. that interest in there as a sweetener and pitching it as an, an investment opportunity, right? Additional yeah. cash flow, good yield, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that becomes a bit of a no-brainer for people because they're like, totally. yeah, I've and got it, my it, cash sitting here and it's doing not much, whereas I can give it to you who I yeah. trust. And it's going to actually return me cash flow. Cool. That's they, they, they cool. might make a two percent. They might make a two percent spread, right, on the cost the cost of debt versus what you pay back, right? Mm. They might make a two percent spread, but I mean, you, what are you getting in the bank? About zero point 
0.01, right? Or 0.01, yep. right? So 2% spread is a lot better than they're going to get in a savings account for a start. And again, <clears throat> this should be structured as a way to help you get started, right? Yep. And and it should be structured as a business deal. Now, there are also things that you can do to de-risk the position because a lot of people are like, well, yeah, but, you know, like, I don't know, it's a lot of money and there's a lot of risk and I don't know, right? You can do things like put a caveat on the first property, right? So so that they they have can have a, basically a caveat over the property that says, you know, if you sell it, then you've got to pay them back the money first and stuff like that. So there's ways yeah. that you can really get creative about this because I think there's a lot of, um, so the savings piece is, is awesome and important and good money management skills are, uh, are critical to success in whatever field of life or whatever area of life you want to pursue. Um, but looking for some capital to get started can often feel a bit icky and a bit awkward. Like, oh, I don't want to go and ask people for money, yeah. right? But if you could just re, if you can just reframe this and say, hey, look, this is where we're at. This is the research we've done. This is what we want to achieve. This is where we want to go. Uh, we're looking for this much capital. I'm wondering if you're interested in investing. Here's how we're going to protect your downside risk. This is what the returns are going to look like. Um, you'll have all your money back by X date. Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Here's all of the risk protection. This is how you're going to get the money even if I lose my job. Here's how all of this kind of stuff, right? And structure to them and put it to people in that way. I think you actually find that a lot of people are quite receptive to it. Mm-hmm. Now, not everyone is going to have $50,000 to put towards it, but maybe someone's got 10 grand and maybe another person's got 15 grand and maybe it's enough to get you started, right? And getting started is the hardest part. Yeah. So if you can lean in and apply a little bit more effort into that area, the fly will will start to turn and you will transform your life. So it's really about having that resilience to kind of like, you know, get a little get a little awkward at the start. Get out of your comfort <laughs> get get out of your comfort zone, you know? Yeah, on the on that ickiness as well, like it definitely it definitely comes up. You know, most people probably hear this and go, "Yeah, I get it. I get it intellectually, but I'm just not ready to have those kind of conversations. I just rather like slog it out and do it myself. And mm-hmm. I think it's largely as well like I don't know, Australians tall poppy syndrome of like we don't want to be prioritizing our own success and our own wealth by asking other people. But it's like if you if you're in a situation where you feel icky about it, it's probably because mm-hmm. it's not a balanced proposal. It's not a balanced negotiation. So totally. even when like, you know, and property gets a really bad rap when people have said have you know, have success in property and they've got a few portfolios, like trolls will come back and be like, oh, yeah, but bank and mum and dad and you just got handouts and like not everyone's as fortunate as you guys, which is true. Like if we're in a position to be Mm. buying multiple properties, we are very, very fortunate and we do need to remember that. Um, But if you are starting from the position of borrowing, right, having a loan agreement with your parents or whoever else, if you feel icky about it because they're just kind of giving it to you, you need to put in place something. Yeah, you haven't that's made the deal good enough. It, yeah, it's not a win-win, right? Our whole principle in putting deals together is that it needs to be a win-win. Like you need to both feel awesome about this arrangement mm. to not feel weird about it. There should be no animosity if you just feel like. You know, your parents have offered to give you a fucking amazing, right? If they've offered to just give you some funds. Because a lot of parents, you know, that is quite an ingrained thing that people, parents want to do for their children is they save their own money so that one day they can gift their children Mm. some something to help with a house, right? That's a natural thing for parents to want to do. So if it gets to a point where they do that and you feel weird about it, 
call it then and don't accept it until you figured out like what can I do for you like I want I, I don't feel comfortable with this Thank yeah you no so one much, wants to feel like a burden right no. I, I I couldn't imagine anything worse than just saying oh yeah why was why was me can I have a handout no no way like that's not very empowering right that's not an empowering state of mind yeah um, but it's even yeah it's even if they you know offer it to you as well and then mm-hmm. a lot of the parents as well would just go like I don't I don't want anything just take it mm-hmm. I've been working all my life to give you this like just take it and if you do reach that agreement and amazingly they just won't accept anything else, like you are very lucky and thank them endlessly and look after them for, for the rest totally. of their days, That's but. their insurance policy. That's like the <laughs> don't forget me when I'm old, right? Because, yeah, you know, they look at that's their yeah. insurance policy. So, yeah. look, I'm, I'm really mindful of time, Gabby. Um cool. So look, we've covered a lot of we've covered a lot of stuff in um, this episode. So we've talked about the three phases uh, of where people find challenges. We talked about why you would even bother getting started and what that looks like and how you can using very simple maths you can achieve a ten property portfolio in the next eleven to twelve years mm-hmm. and also create a hundred thousand dollars income. Now we've talked about also the savings plans, like how to start thinking about money management and how to put that together, and also how to go out and find additional capital if you need a kind of a a, a bit of a booster pack, right? Something that's going to like kickstart your property portfolio. There's some other things as well which we can maybe talk about in other episodes. But there's ways you can structure deals doing vendor finance, right? So you can actually go to a vendor, and unless they have a, a, a specific need for the money, they might be prepared to do a vendor finance deal, which would allow you to pay the owner of the property over a period of time um, to be able to pay back the property in that way, which is kind of like structuring a loan agreement with your parents or, or friends or family members or loved ones, like we've just talked about it, but just doing that with the owner of the property. So that's a way to do it. You can do joint ventures where you might partner with, let's say, your brother or sister or whatever and say, well, why don't we both, both of us are struggling to get to where we want to get to. Why don't we combine forces and why don't we buy one property as a joint venture, right? Then both realize the gains later and then you can kind of separate and realize the gains and then go your own way. So there's a way that you can join forces with other people to try and get to where you want to go. Got to think about structuring with that kind of stuff, right? Just chucking two people on one title can be a little little bit murky. So just there's a bit, bit to think about there. But there's like loads of different creative ways that you can do, that you can uh, you can think about getting started in property investing because getting started is the hardest part and everything after that becomes easier and your life will transform. Even if you only take a few steps and then even get distracted, you're still going to be way better off than if you did nothing at all. So um, I think we've covered a lot of ground, Gabby. Yeah, we have. And I think like if you do, if you're listening and you think like, oh, those those creative financing ideas sound really interesting. If you guys do want us to do um, a podcast, maybe just on like a creative slash no money slash little money down kind of things, which is not generally strategies that we recommend because they no. are more complicated. People like the idea of like no money down deals because, you know, there's no money down. So, but yeah, they're generally not many people actually end up doing them because they are more complicated. But if you are interested to learn about them, um, shoot us an email, hello at dutchdot.com.au. Just let us know. Yes, guys, these concepts sound awesome. I'm really keen to hear more. Um, And we can do a podcast on just all of the different creative financing strategies if you like. Awesome. Cool. Well, Gabby, I've enjoyed this episode. And uh, the listener, I hope you have enjoyed this episode too. And as Gabby said, shoot us your feedback, hello at dash.com.au. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thanks. Bye.